Hello everyone, welcome to our weekly broadcast. So as usual, we'll start with some guided meditation. And just close your eyes and try and bring your mind to your experience. Just trying to be with your experience and trying to see it as it is. Achieve a sort of objectivity where you're no longer judging or reacting to your experiences. If you have any questions, the second part of the session will be answering questions, so you're welcome to post your questions anytime. If you post them now, we'll collect them and they'll be asked when the time comes. But in the meantime, if you don't have a question or once you've asked your question, just close your eyes and start by focusing on your stomach. If you need, you can put your hand on your stomach, just trying to be aware of the stomach as it rises and falls. By rising and falling, it means expanding and contracting. So when it, when it expands, in English we call this rising. When it contracts, we call this falling. So as it rises, say rising. And as it falls, say falling. Rising. Falling. I don't say the words out loud, but just in your mind, repeat to yourself, rising as it rises and falling as it falls as a kind of a mantra. Mantra is a tool that helps focus your attention on an object. And it has the added benefit of keeping you objective about the object. If your mind is busy understanding the rising as rising, it has no room for judgment or reaction. So it's a way of training the mind to focus on the experience rather than react to it and become disturbed by it. it allows us to face the experience head on.
And as you're focused on the stomach, you'll find that your mind is from time to time distracted by other objects. And so in mindfulness, all of these other distractions become our new object of focus. Whatever it is that takes you away from your main object of the stomach, you note that object, and once it's gone, just go back to the stomach and start again. So if you feel, for example, pain, or if you feel pleasure, or if you feel calm, any of these feelings are a valid object of meditation. So if you feel pain, just say to yourself, pain, 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 just seeing the pain as pain until it goes away. Once it's gone, go back to the rising, falling. If you feel pleasure, you can say happy, happy. If you feel calm, say calm, calm, calm. Just stay with the feeling until it goes away. Once it's gone or after a long time, if it doesn't go away, just go back to the rising, falling. Another common object of distraction is, of course, thoughts. Thoughts about the past or future, good thoughts, bad thoughts, many different kinds of thought that might arise. Planning, remembering, fantasizing, imagining, wondering. But in the end, they're all just thought. And whatever the thought is, good, bad, past, future, just say to yourself, thinking. Try and focus on the actual experience of thinking. When you're thinking, just recognize it as a thought. Say, thinking and thinking. Then go back to the rising, falling. Don't let your mind get caught up in the thought or carried away by the thought. I'm not trying to stop the thoughts. We're just trying to remind ourselves they're only thoughts, keep ourselves present with the actual experience.
another object of distraction that comes along with thoughts and is a big part of why we meditate in the first place is our states of mind. So meditation helps to encourage certain states of mind and discourage other states of mind. It helps to train the mind in, into uh, growing certain states and abandoning other states. So being aware of our state of mind is also an important part of the practice. If you react to an experience, then there might be liking or disliking, and that's a state of mind, and you should note that. If you like something, say to yourself, liking, liking. If you dislike something, disliking, disliking. These ones can be problems because they get out of hand if you're not mindful. You react to them and you become angry or greedy, attached and addicted, afraid, paranoid, that sort of thing. So note all of those. If you feel afraid, say afraid. If you want something, wanting. If you're bored or sad or depressed, just try and note the experience. Just keeping yourself self-objective, reminding yourself of the nature of the experience so that your mind doesn't get carried away with your interpretation of it. If you feel tired or drowsy or if you feel restless or anxious, sometimes the mind will be one or the other. Try and note that state of mind as well. If you're tired, say tired, tired. If you're restless or anxious or energetic, note that as well. If you're worried, say worried, worried, anxious, anxious. If you have doubt or confusion, note that as well, doubting, confused. And whenever the whenever you've noted something and it goes away, just go back to the stomach and continue staying present with the experience, rising, falling.
And the final aspect of meditation is being mindful of our senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling. These can come as distractions, but are also to be taken as objects of meditation. So when you see something, don't try and ignore it. Just say seeing, seeing, focus on it as an object until it goes away. If you hear a sound externally or something, music in the mind or sound, someone talking in your mind, that sort of thing, just say hearing, hearing. Smelling, tasting, if you feel something on the body, feeling, feeling. Overall, just mindful of whatever it is that you experience, whatever type of experience it might be. And once it's gone, just go back and focus on the stomach. And there's nothing special about the stomach as an object. It just makes a good base for us to always come back to and keep us focused as we wait for whatever comes next.
All right, so the next part of the session is where we answer questions. If you have questions, again, just write them into the YouTube chat. And from now on, the only thing in the chat should be actual questions. Anything that's not a question will be removed. Questions should be of importance to you, not just curiosity, and they should ideally be about meditation practice and meditation practice in our tradition. If you don't have any questions, you can just keep your eyes closed and stay mindful with us. Thank you, Bhante. We do have questions. My mind is so full of fear and anxiety that I can barely perform in my daily lay life. Mindfulness alone is probably not enough for me. Is there any other Dhamma that can be helpful? Well, mindfulness is never alone, but it should be enough because mindfulness is like the key that starts so many other parts of uh, the, the path to enlightenment. I think you might be selling yourself short or selling mindfulness short. Uh, I'm not sure what else you might be looking for. And there's nothing else that would really help you in the way that mindfulness would. There's lots of other things that support your mindfulness practice, but I would argue that mindfulness is still going to be at the center. I mean, the center is seeing clearly. Mindfulness is the means by which we see clearly. Without mindfulness, there's not much you can do to see clearly. But there are you know, other things that can support your practice of mindfulness. Ethics is a good one. Uh, study is another but those are just going to be supportive. You can't rely on them, not in the way you can rely on mindfulness. I don't know if you've read our booklet, but you might consider con uh, contemplating carefully what's in our booklet and in that sort of meditation instruction and try and put it into practice. If you haven't done our at-home course, then you might also consider doing the at-home course because that's a way to see how much mindfulness can help you. But um, part of the problem often is our our expectation of what a um, what a solution looks like. So saying something is not enough for you probably means you have in mind something that your life would look like if you got enough of whatever it is you you want to get enough of, and that can often be itself a, a hindrance having some expectation of what life should look like, like uh, an expectation that you should have no fear or anxiety is actually unreasonable. It's much more reasonable to get a better relationship with your fear and anxiety uh, as a first step, fear and anxiety being uh, habits that are unlikely to, to disappear no matter what you do, and not, not as a... As a uh, immediate practice, giving up free, fear and anxiety or being free from fear and anxiety is only a long-term 
goal, not a short-term goal. The short-term goal should be to learn to, again, to get a better relationship with them. And that's what mindfulness gives you, so that you uh, stop feeding them and you start uh, learning to experience with them without reacting. Since I finished the at-home course, I have given up on physical exercise. Now aches and pains arise in the body, which I simply note. Is this foolish? Earlier I would have gone to the doctor by now. No, that's not foolish. Pain is... Uh, pain is an experience. It's not a problem. And pain is a really good object of mindfulness in that it can help you to see your dislikes, see your attachments, and overcome them. It can also help you let go. This pain is not something you're likely to cling to as liking. So by being mindful of the pain, it's a great way to keep your attention and yet be objective rather than, than clinging. Once you are able to see pain as just pain, you can be very present. In meditation, I try to think about the Buddha to keep my mind from thinking about the past or the future. In daily activities, I do the same. Is this mindful? Is this correct? Uh, it is mindful. It's mindful of the Buddha. Meaning your, your mind is focused on the Buddha, is uh, confronting the experience of the Buddha, you know, being, being uh, grasping the, the idea of the Buddha. But Buddha is just a concept, or the Buddha is a concept anyway. And so whether it's correct depends on what your frame of reference is. If you mean correct in terms of uh, cultivating in clarity of mind that leads to wisdom and freedom from suffering, then no, it's not correct. It's correct insofar as it leads to what it's supposed to lead to, something wholesome, which is a state of calm, and that it it's correct in that it would keep your mind from thinking about the past and future, but mindfulness, uh, seeing clearly, isn't about keeping your mind from thinking about certain things, whether they be past, present, or future. It's about see, seeing thinking as thinking. So when you're thinking about the past, being aware that you're thinking, being aware of it as thinking. Uh, you trying to stop yourself from thinking is not going to be of ultimate benefit. It's only a temporary solution where you try to divert your attention. So instead of diverting your attention, we'd much more recommend uh, trying to take the distraction as the object and say to yourself, thinking, thinking, whenever it comes up. I don't know if you've read our booklet on how to meditate, but it 
gives you an idea of how we cultivate mindfulness. And there's an at-home course you can take as well that can give you some idea on how it goes. How can one best approach internet addiction? Is there anything in particular to look out for, to be mindful of? Not really. I mean, addiction is something that you have to sort of do an end run around by get, pick, taking up meditation and just changing your outlook on life so that you are less um, less lazy, complacent, less in, indulgent, in, indolent, I think is the sort of word I'm looking for, where you just do when you're bored, you know, get bored and do something to entertain yourself, looking for entertainment and that sort of thing. You need a regimen and some discipline to keep you doing meditation, so you try to take up a daily practice of meditation. That's hard. I'm, I have no uh, real advice, concrete advice on how to do that. You just have to be the sort of person who's inclined to do that. And the, the real way to develop that is through all sorts of wholesome acts, just being a better person, learning from people who are wise, um, being kind and generous to others, being ethical and, and moral, you know, cultivating goodness on all levels makes you the sort of person who is inclined towards good things. And you'll be less prone to your addictions. Uh, well, you'll be, you'll be inclined more to do meditation, which will help you deal with your addictions on a deeper level. Because it's not just the addiction, it's also kind of this um, indolent state where you're not disciplined, you're not focused, and you're not inclined to do things like meditate, you're inclined to surf the internet. When, you, when you're engaging in this sort of entertainment, it's very hard to be mindful because your mind is inclined towards being entertained. It's diverted by the experience. So it's not uh, exactly easy to, it's not the best or the, the only important thing to try and be mindful of it because it's just your mind is already preoccupied in another way. Try and cultivate formal meditation practice and you'll find yourself less inclined towards it and, and, and more able to be mindful of when you do have to use the internet. When there is a lot going on, for example, hearing, stray thoughts, bodily feeling, etc., should one note distracted, knowing, or either slash or, or is distracted more earmarked for a lot of thinking? And there's a lot of different objects that's distracted. Your mind is not focused on one and 
It's going here and going there. You'd say distracted, distracted. How do I meditate when my heart is pounding? Do I say heart, heart, or is it stress, anxiety? Heart isn't an experience. You can't experience heart. You experience the feeling. Pounding, you could say. Pounding is a word that we use to describe the experience, but it's really just a feeling. So you can also just say feeling, feeling. And it's not stress or anxiety. Stress and anxiety are mental. So if you feel stressed, you can note stressed. If you feel anxious, you can note anxious. It's an important question because it shows how we interpret things. We assign connections to things. This pounding, you, you, you interpret it as being your heart, and you might interpret it as being stress or anxiety, but that's not what it actually is. It's just a pounding, which is in turn just a feeling. So you can either say pounding or feeling. I've been meditating for a while and managed to let go of feelings such as guilt and anger, but I sometimes feel lost as in what now? What is enlightenment really? It confuses me. I don't know what I'm looking for. Well, enlightenment is when you stop looking for something. If you're confused, then you're not you're you're not in a state of peace. Confusion is involved with sort of, well, potentially yearning, not necessarily, but confusion is a state of mind that is not clear. So that's a sign of something. Like if you're asking what now, you can note the confusion. Once you have no confusion, well, that's a better state. But if you're looking for something, there can be a yearning, and you should note that as well. Wanting more, if you feel bored, that sort of thing. You might consider doing an intensive course to maybe see some things that you're not noticing. But, I mean, ultimately, in the end, once once all of that's gone, that's that's what it is. That's all we're looking for. Get rid of those things like guilt and anger. Uh, and feeling lost is another one. If you feel lost, that if you really do feel lost, then that's another one that you would want to let go of. It's just a feeling. In daily life, should I stop everything I am doing and say to myself, fear, 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 even if I am in the middle of something? Well, it's helpful if you can. Uh, should you is is going to depend on, well, to what extent you value the action that you're doing. Like, if you're in the middle of driving a car, you probably shouldn't just take your hands off the wheel and let the car continue going on its own. You probably should also keep driving, for example. Um, and that sort of thing, you know, if if you can afford to stop what you're doing, then yeah, it's quite helpful if you stop and focus on the fear and and everything else. You should never really just focus on one thing because with blinders on it, it 
um, it um, prevents you from seeing the change when it happens. It prevents you from noticing what you're actually experiencing. So fear will be a part of your experience, but there'll be other aspects of your experience that you might not notice if you're uh, too focused uh, on the single thing. I cannot stop masturbating, and I can understand it is some compulsive attitude. Could you help me somehow? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, to some extent, this is this is like the internet addiction, but it's also it's not quite the same because it's a very concrete example of addiction to pleasure. It's hard to find any other addiction like sexual addiction because it's so directly associated with pleasurable experiences so that's a good example of of actually being mindful of the experience try and take the pleasure as an experience the liking as experience the um, the images that you might evoke um, you know in any sexual experience there there'll be tactile sensations there will be visual sensations uh, there will be smell sensations smells and tastes potentially and you should note all of those thoughts and there can be emotions like if you feel guilty about it but there'll also be of course just the basic liking try and break it up into its constituent parts that's really helpful don't expect to try and stop yourself from doing it just try and get a better perspective and if you're methodical with that it can really change the way you look at it you're at least able to see it uh, more objectively but at the same time the, the same advice for the internet addiction goes is that um, what will really help your life in general is um, actual formal meditation practice and if you're doing a formal daily meditation practice you should be able to better um, regulate your sexual urges and urges for all sorts of addictions uh, it can be a real problem that i mentioned before if you're fixated on stopping yourself from doing something like smoking or masturbating or um, indulging in food or anything like that and that, so you should never really uh, hold yourself to that trying to stop yourself from doing whatever it is just try and get a better perspective on it and uh, understand that you probably would be better off if you stop things like that. Um, but don't make it the requirement, the test. I'm, I'm, I'm failing if I'm not stopped. And don't be like that. That's, that's in so many addictions that becomes a problem because you, you become uh, depressed and, and frustrated and, and angry at yourself, self-hatred and that sort of thing. Try and focus more on the clarity of how you see the experience. Well, something we don't realize is that addiction requires a darkness. It requires delusion. It requires ignorance. If you see clearly, you can't be addicted to something. You can't like something. You cannot also dislike something. Those can only arise based on darkness and ignorance. So as you shine the light in and see more clearly, they just can't arise. When we don't meditate, do we need to note things all day from the moment we stand up to when we go to sleep 
I find this difficult. Well, meditation is difficult. It's expected to be difficult, so don't ever be discouraged by that. Uh, but do we need to is not a very good question. Uh, should we try to? Should we uh, make some effort to? Is a much better question, and then it, the answer would be yes, you should, because it will help you. Do we need to? You don't need to do anything, and um, there are certain requirements for progress and certain requirements for progress during a meditation course that are more strict um, but none of them is ever going to have an answer that yes you need to note everything from the beginning of the you wake up until the moment you go to sleep it's just you should make effort to because that's going to help your practice no matter what sort of practice you're doing Is it a good or bad habit to meditate if I notice myself getting too distracted or generally don't feel good? Well, you should meditate on those things. If you're distracted, you should not distracted. If you don't feel good, you should note what you do feel. You shouldn't note what you don't feel. If you don't feel good, then don't note that you feel good. Note what you do feel. Most likely you mean that you feel bad. feel bad, then you should note that feeling, whatever it is, disliking the feeling or disliking something. Note that. If we only were mindful of our good things, we never get Because life isn't made up of just good things. When you're distracted, that's a part of your life as well, a part of your experience. So you should not distracted when you don't when you feel bad. That's a part of experience as well. We don't want to become partial to certain experiences and try and avoid other experiences. I have to think about the past in order to love my mom. If I keep my mind at the present, I feel indifferent towards my mom. She died. What can I do? <laughs> Sorry. What can I do? Well, I don't give advice on how to do things like love your mom. Um, and I guess that's the answer is that I, I think it's a little misguided and, and, you know, understandably so, or understandable that you should feel that way, but it, but still misguided to think that you should uh, try to do something to love someone. Um, the word love is a hard word. I don't really use it much personally. I don't feel like it encompasses the ideas that we uh, promote in Buddhism. The word love is just too heavily laden with baggage and usually means at least partial uh, attachment to the object we talk more about friendliness the buddha used words like friendliness um, and kindness having a positive inclination towards people 
like how a, how a mother um, only wishes good for their ch child, that sort of thing. So it's quite likely um, that that most children, or many children anyway, will 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 have that towards their parents, even if they're not actively thinking about them. But uh, but that's what you what you should work on, or many people should work on, is their feelings of resentment towards their parents, and things that would keep you from inclining positively towards them. Like you can ask yourself if if and when you do think about your your mother, is there resentment there? Is there a feeling of of anger towards? things they may have done, your mother might have done in the past or that sort of thing. If there's not that, there's no need for an active feeling of attachment, feeling of affection. Affection is not really a positive state in Buddhism. Affection is caught up with attachment. And that's really, a, affection is a word that we don't use much, and it's, a, I think, a good point to remember that it's if affection that we often think of we think um i have great affection for this person we think of that as a positive thing and it's really not um our our friendliness should be an inclination to help to promote the well-being of others to to work towards their betterment to be open to supporting them and doing anything that can help them that's necessary and appropriate. So I, I don't I wouldn't be concerned with this because I don't think it's actually necessary. Um, one thing you can think of is the fact that oh, from lifetime to lifetime we've all been relatives with each other and it's hard to find a being who hasn't been your mother so uh, we eventually forget about each other no matter what, and it's really not of any great value to hold one being up over another beyond uh, beyond being grateful and um, appreciative of the good qualities, especially the good things that others have done for us and that sort of thing. I mean, as is appropriate, right? Someone has done good things for you, it's appropriate that you are grateful. as long as you can remember. Is it bad for the practice if I recorded how many hours I meditated a week? No, it's not bad, but it's, it's potentially, I mean, could be for certain people a bad sign, a sign that there is uh, something bad going on, meaning someone could be very much obsessed with the number of hours that they've done. Uh, I, I, mean, I think that's quite unlikely just because you record the number of hours you've done per week, but it's something to watch out for. That recording the number of hours can be a part of your, your fixation on how many hours you've done, because meditation isn't about hours practiced, it's about moments. How many moments were you mindful? Which is much harder to count, but much more valuable. And on the other hand, even if you could, and no matter what you are recording, it's all in the past, right? 
So being complacent or kind of satisfied with how many hours you've done can be dangerous as well. You should never think about what you've done in the past. It should always be, what am I doing right now in the present? So it may not be as good as people think it is. People who record do that sort of thing. Is it under certain conditions possible to do the foundation course at home? Yes, it is under certain conditions possible, but I would suggest the conditions most likely would be having done some sort of intensive practice before and being confident of your ability to do rigorous intensive practice without the immediate connection with a teacher, like like the direct residential connection and that your at-home situation is not a home it's a it's a meditative environment is it okay to meditate with music on music makes it harder to be mindful because there's often liking involved but it depends what you mean by that like if you're turning the music on intentionally to help you meditate then you've got probably a, a different idea of what meditation means than what i explain it to mean so you should maybe read our booklet on how to meditate uh, but if you're talking about meditating while someone else has music turned on or whether there's well there's music in the background then certainly you can you're just not hearing hearing uh, but the idea that it might somehow be helpful to your practice is a bit of a problem. Something you should do some studying about to understand Buddhist ideas about things like music. How will I know if becoming a monk is the right path for me? I feel like I can't take up meditation as a layperson without going all in. Is it just more challenging to be mindful in lay life? So the idea that there might be a right path for you is a little bit misguided. Uh, it's a common thing for us to think, what is the right path for me? The truth about the world is there is no one path for you. That's a sort of a theistic idea that God has a plan for us, right? Buddhism has no such idea. The world is whatever you make of it. There are infinite number of paths that you could go down. Um, the right path Buddhism identifies is the one that leads you to freedom from suffering. Now, the monastic life is not directly that path, but since the monastic life supports that path, it's considered to be a good decision in most cases. I mean, it's, it, it's generally speaking a good decision in specific examples, and which I guess is what you're asking um, so, so just, I guess, be careful and don't say it's, is it the right path, but would it work for me is maybe a better question. And you have to, that, that's a, a question that can be challenging to assess. Um, but if you ask it like that, then it's more the acknowledgement of it being a good thing and then seeing whether or not, uh, it would work for you, whether you'd be able to, make it work for what it's supposed to work supposed to do no 
sometimes it's hard to find a situation where you might be able to ordain. Sometimes you might uh, try to ordain and just feel realize that you're just not able to cope or cut it. But I think that's not something um, that you should. We should assume exists for certain people and not for others. It's more that if you're going to if if you're going to ordain, um, you have to work at it. And you have to understand it as being something that you'll have to work at, something that might be hard to even accomplish, and once accomplished, might be hard to maintain. So it's uh, it's a challenge. Being a the monastic life is a challenging life, but uh, yeah, being being a lay person is also challenging in different ways, and the challenge of a monastic life is much um, much better in terms of the. Uh, practice than the challenges of a lay person. Generally speaking, I mean, some lay people are very much able to organize their lives in such a way that they're able to progress quite well on the path. Um, so it might be a bit misguided to think that you can't take up meditation as a lay person without going all in. Sometimes we get misguided and romanticize the monastic life as some kind of magical vehicle that's going to propel us towards enlightenment and it's really not it's still very much self-powered it's not a it's not a cadillac where you get in or a limousine where you get in the back and it drives you itself it's much more like uh let's say a um much a more expensive bicycle right a bicycle that is bigger and more powerful and better tires or so on. but it's still a bicycle you still have to pedal yourself all the way it's just um, it's just better suited for the task. It's like maybe lay life is like taking a, a road bicycle uh, up a mountain. That's very hard because lots of bumps. Whereas the monastic life is uh, like an off-road bicycle. So it's still very hard, but it's much more suited for the task. And you still have to work just as hard. You talk many a times about noting concept and noting reality. While doing daily chores, like while brushing, should one note brushing, brushing, or friction, friction? So, so brushing would best be uh, a name for the movement of the hand when it goes back and forth. It's kind of a brushing motion, and that experience could be called brushing. But brushing is fairly conceptual. It's, that's not a problem because it does describe the reality of the movement of the hand. But the feeling on the teeth could be a feeling. Friction is a little bit abstract. You don't experience friction. You experience feeling. So if you note the fee, if you feel the feeling you have on your teeth is feeling. If you taste the toothpaste, that's taste. That sort of thing. Like the Buddha even had us note sitting, sitting, because even though sitting is a concept. It um, it describes a reality, uh, the, the experiential reality of the feeling of sitting. Is mindfulness applicable to any activity, like intense studying, socializing, doing exercise? Could mindfulness interfere? For things like intense studying, it will most likely interfere, but can be used in, uh, together. 
with the experience. So during the time you're studying, you can take breaks. It's much more useful than actually trying to study mindfully because your mind is otherwise occupied during the studying. It's not trying to be mindful. It's trying to remember concepts or understand concepts. Uh, socializing as well. It's good to be both interspersing mindfulness with the socializing, but also being on guard with your emotions, being aware of when you give rise to certain emotions like fear and worry and anxiety and anger and so on. Just being present. I mean, mindfulness helps with mindfulness will never interfere with anything. Um, but I mean, except except that when when the intense studying and things like that certain mental activities like working on computers or that sort of thing so you couldn't try to do it mindfully because your mind is otherwise occupied but um so what i mean by it won't interfere is it's not a bad thing it it, it can interfere in it technically but uh, the best you can the better you can apply it the more pure your activities are going to be I mean, studying becomes much more fruitful when you're interspersing mindfulness with it, when you're applying mindfulness whenever you can. And the same with things like socializing. It keeps you from being anxious. Exercise is much a much better example of something that could that benefits very much from mindfulness because it's generally mindless. So the physical exercise can be a great object of mindfulness so that you're working out your mind as well as your body. Does it matter if I do laying meditation or sitting meditating? I prefer laying. If you prefer laying, then yes, it probably does matter. You should probably do sitting instead. Following our preference is a problem. So I would recommend that you do sitting. Sitting is better, and that's a good reason, one of the reasons why it's better, generally speaking, because we... Uh, we it, it forces us to confront a certain... Uh, discomfort that comes from sitting upright without any back support. Sitting cross-legged without any back support is a great practice in endurance and patience. Um, sitting with your back against the wall or lying down is just somewhat indulgent and overly comfortable, which makes it hard for you to be objective and hard to stay focused. So the fact that you prefer lying is a good sign that you're not not ready to do lying meditation. When you no longer prefer lying meditation, you might find that lying is actually beneficial. Now, on the other hand, for some people, sitting is impossible because of back problems, actual injuries, or just intense stress. If someone is intensely anxious or stressed, Lying down can be useful for that. During meditation, how do I return to that experience I had that felt like I was launched? Whenever I notice the buildup of the event happening, something happens and pulls me back down before I go. It's a common example, an example. Sorry, it's an example of a common um, issue in meditation where we experience something that we think is meaningful 
and become frustrated when we're unable to uh, attain again that experience which we thought is meaningful um which experience being uh unmeaningful what i mean to say is that there's nothing meaningful about whatever experience you had so uh, whether you experience it or not you should be mindful of what you do experience when you want to experience some experience you should note the wanting when you're frustrated because you don't experience it you should not frustrate it when you feel like you're going to experience something you should note the feeling that you are experiencing rather than the one that you are expecting to experience if i just go a little further no note what you are experiencing this feeling of uh, whatever it is that makes you think that you're about to experience something else note the feeling that you do have i don't give it i can't give you an answer to how to return to some experience the answer is not that the right that's not the right question the question is what should i do about it and you should note the actual experiences and note the wanting to experience experiences that you're not experiencing that's the answer bunthu we've crossed the hour there's one more question in tier one do you have time to answer ready to go thank you if i cannot sleep or have insomnia should I meditate to reflect on the feelings of tiredness, fatigue, and so on? Yes, but also um, one common aspect of insomnia is something you haven't mentioned, and that's the anxiety and the desire to sleep don't don't ignore that because that's usually what is keep what it, that's a big part of what keeps you awake there are other reasons as well sometimes your body is just not ready to sleep but if there is tiredness and fatigue then it's probably likely that there is something else in the mind keeping you awake it can also be artificial if you've had a lot of caffeine that can sometimes keep you awake if you have a problem like maybe you're angry or maybe you're greedy addicted to something craving for something like christmas eve right you might be so tired but oh it's christmas morning and i'm gonna get new gifts i mean obviously for adults it's not so bad but there are things like that tomorrow something big coming makes it hard to sleep uh, so you should note that but you should also note the anxiety of the the, the the stress that comes from feeling like you should be sleeping uh, it's important with insomnia that you're honest with yourself and open to the potential of not getting the sleep that you expect or, or think you should be getting. Because if you don't do that, you're, the setting up of expectations that are unrealistic just creates greater stress and makes it harder for you to sleep and just creates a bad habit so that it's more likely to happen again in the future. You become triggered and easily triggered by, oh, I'm not getting to sleep. It's like this again, and, and you're, you're stressed out. It just makes it unpleasant all around. Thank you, Bantu. That's all the questions we had prepared for today. All right. Thanks, everyone, for your questions and for joining us. Wish you all a good week. Sadu. Uh -huh. uh -huh.